Please take your seats. Good to see everybody out this morning. This Christmas or, or, or New Year's Eve, you guys got big plans? Well, no? Okay, okay. Somebody asked me this morning, they were like, are you going to go out partying? And so I tried to quickly diffuse that, and I said, I'm a preacher. That didn't even stop them. They said, are you still going to go out partying? I said, wow, he, he just doesn't get it. Um, but good to see everybody out this morning. And so <clears throat> by way of introduction, you know, it's New Year's, right? And so sometimes we, we, we want this kind of feel-good message. But unfortunately, it will feel good, but in a different way. And so you just got to hold on to your seats. Um, New Year's Day, right, it is in our world one of clearing out the old, bringing in the new, wouldn't you say? You know, getting things together. Um, we, we, it's a time of celebration. You know, people will be doing a, a ton of things tonight, uh, both inappropriate and appropriate. Um, opportunities are, are endless, if you will. But the question is, why do we anticipate and celebrate the coming of a new year? Why do we do that? Um, well, there, there are several options, but, but let me give us two that come to my mind. So either it's this, 2017 was amazing, and you're just looking for more of that amazingness, if you will, right? It was that good. There was a lot of good things that occurred, and you're like, praise God for that. That is great, right? Or on the flip side of that, on the flip side of that, um, 2017 was filled with so much pain and uncertainty, right, uh, that you pray God would bring you clarity in your life because of all that pain. In either case, church, the question is, what is God's will in everything? What is your will for the new year? What is your will in my singleness, in my retirement, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my job? What is your will, Lord, in my loneliness? Because some of us are there. So this morning, we're going to focus on a specific aspect of the will of God, because the will of God is a big topic. I would have to be here probably for at least six months, parceling out the text on the will of God. But we're going to look at a very, very specific portion of the will of God, and it is clear from the scripture. Um, like I said, some of you may not think that when we get there, like, wow, this, I wasn't expecting this, but that's okay. We're here to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, so the title, the, the will of God, uh, but before I even go any further, let me say this. The will of God for humanity is salvation. The will of God for humanity is that you would be saved. That is the will of God. John 640 says this, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. Very similar to John 3, 16, right? And I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise him up on the last day. So the will of God for humanity is that you first know who he is. That's God's will, that you be saved. For those here this morning who don't know Christ, repentance and belief is mandatory. It's mandatory for salvation. For the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's the point, recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a holy Savior. 
Before anything can happen in terms of you being in the proper place, the will of God, you have to come to a conclusion that your goodness is just not that good. Your, your best is just not best enough, if you will. That's wrong grammar. But, but you get what I'm saying. You, you cannot get to God on your own merit or work. Because, see, the Bible declares that our goodness is like filthy rags. It really, it doesn't hold up to the standard of God. His is perfection. See, we're way down here. So if you try to meet God on his standard without accepting the perfect sacrifice, there, you'll always be in a, in a chasm, if you will, of not being able to, to be with him, if you will. You'll never be able to meet up. And so that's the first thing. I want those here who don't know the Lord, I, I pray that by the end of the sermon or the middle of it or wherever God meets you, that you will say, you know what? I need to know this Jesus Christ that this man is preaching about because I understand that I'm not in the will of God. And then for the believer, I want us to be encouraged and say, wow, thank God that he saved me that I know his will. Because prior to Christ, I was, I was dead in my sins. I didn't understand the will of God. So there's both encouragement and there's hope. They balance one another out. Um, so what do the scriptures teach us about the will of God? Let's do this. Let's pray. And then we'll go into the text. Great God in heaven, we bless your name this morning, Lord. We ask God that you give us clarity from the scriptures, Father. That you use me, Father, a weak and broken cistern. A sinner saved by grace through faith. And Father, I stand humbly before your people and before you, dear God, proclaiming your word, understanding that I don't have it all together. But I thank you, God, that you do. And so I lean not on my own understanding, and I will acknowledge you in all my ways so that you will direct my paths, and I pray that you will direct every saint of God's path here, and even those who don't know you. Direct them to you. I ask God that you be glorified and that the people in this building would be edified. I pray all these things through Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, what do the scriptures teach about the will of God? Take your Bible, if you have it, um, and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, to give us the context. So, if you're there... Hopefully you are, or just listen if you don't have a Bible. If, if you're sitting next to someone who, who does, please share. That's the Christian thing to do. Um, here, we, here we go. First Thessalonians 4, 1, it says this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received, or that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, <clears throat> because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Thank God for his word. The, Thessalon uh, the, Thess uh, the church in Thessalonica, or, or the Thessalonians here, 
this was a, a healthy church, if you will. They were a healthy church, but they were expecting the Lord's return. It was imminent upon them, just as we are expecting the Lord's return, which is good. So we're in good company here. Um, but Paul wanted to see them continue on in the faith. They're a new church, a new, a new set of believers. Paul says, listen, I want you to continue on in the faith. And they had come out of a lifestyle of immorality. They had come out of a lifestyle of immorality. Oftentimes we think that our society is the most immoral. Did you know that times past it was just as or even more so as I read some scholarly work? won't be able to point that out exactly, but we can look at books like 1 Corinthians and you'll see how that church was steeped in sin, right? So this young church was brought out, you know, of darkness into God's light, and, and Paul wants to encourage them in their walk of faith. He wants to establish them, so much so that he's encouraging them in Thessalonians 3 and 12. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, as the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He's, he's saying, listen, I, I want you to stay established, be blameless, be holy, be holy. I'm glad we have a model here. I'm glad we have a model here. But go back to 4, verse 3, and read this with me. It says, for this is the will of God. Guess what the will of God is, church? Your sanctification. And then look at what it's connected to. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. See, some of you may be asking, why deal with sexual immorality? Have you looked at the news lately? Have you looked at your own heart lately? Um, Sexual immorality is running rampant. You know, I mean, politicians are losing their jobs left and right. Marriage are being broken down left and right because of sexual immorality. I, I actually believe if you don't get this one right, you get nothing else right. So you may be thinking, oh, well, does that mean I can commit another sin? And then if I don't do this one, no, no, no. God calls us to holiness, as I just read, right? But, but something about sexual immorality that Paul deals with in several of the epistles. You can find it all over the place in Colossians and Ephesians. That should prompt our minds, church, that this is a serious issue. Sexual immorality is problematic in terms of how it tears down the fabric of society. And it does that. It does that. Um, So we're going to deal with it because the Bible deals with it. Secondly, um, there's so much garbage out there right, that, that infiltrates our minds. And, and unfortunately, the church doesn't seem to be leading the way in holiness and sanctification. Just one small statistics, the, the marriage divorce rate in the church is just as high or higher than those out in the world. Using that as just one illustration, that ought not be the case. We are the sanctified, set-apart holiness of God. We should be leading the way as the example to other people. We are what the Bible says, salt and light, right? To, die, to folks who are dying. They need to be able to look at us and say, oh, well, they do it differently. And we can point them to the Savior and say, this is the reason why. This is the reason why. So we can learn from the church in Thessalonians. And actually, I'm encouraged by the level of holiness and sanctification I see and I hear at EGBC. Let me encourage you. I don't want this to sound like, like oh man, I, you might not even be walking in sexual immorality. But, but you need to hear this. 
because because it's, it's problematic and, and no one is without being tempted. And the Bible says, as I just finished reading, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from it. So this is a part of God's will for each and every Christian, old, young, in between all of that. I heard John MacArthur say one time, it was a, it was a sermon he was preaching. He said, you know, talking to an old saint, saint was on his deathbed and, and the saint said, you know, I just wish I could have dealt with my pornography problem. I just wish I could have licked it. This man is like in his 80s or something. He's just very old. My point in bringing that up is that we need to hear it. We need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to know how to, how to be victorious. We need to understand this is a part of God's will and it's essential. It's essential for our sanctification. For our sanctification. So, back in 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So this is what sanctified means, church. Sanctification means to be separated to God. To be separated to God. However, that also means that you have to be separated from something. Am I right? You have to be separated from something or someone. So listen, prior to God saving us, we belong to the devil. That's just it. There's no in-betweens. You are either walking with Christ or you're not. There's no like, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm doing this thing. Jesus loves me, but you're not saved. No, 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 no. The Bible says your father is the devil. That's, it's clear. I, I can't make this up. That, that's what it says. So we were created in God's image, right? But outside of Christ, we didn't bear his image, if you will. Remember when you heard someone say about a child, you know what? I know that that's that, you know, that, that boy's... I know his daddy because all the characteristics followed along. You know, the smile, the, the, the everything, the, 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 the way they conducted themselves, right? Not just the physical traits, but, but everything else, right? They say that, right? They say that because that person looks like that person. They, they are a replica, if you will, of that person. That's what we need to be with Jesus Christ, right? When he calls us. And if you're not that, you're going to look like someone else. You're going to behave like enemy, you're not going to have what you need to, to be victorious and actually have a sanctified life. So the Bible says, remember, remember who you are in him. Remember who you are in him. Turn with me to, to, to John 17. And I want you, we're going to be turning a lot of places here. So just get your fingers ready. John 17. And I want us to look at this because this will point to our sanctification. This will point to our sanctification. John 17, verse 14. And it reads like this. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for the sake, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Did you know Jesus is praying for his disciples? And then he goes on in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. It's for the disciples, but it extends to us. I love that because, because this should cause great joy when you think on the sacrifice of Jesus to sanctify us and then set us apart to God by means of his own death. 
See, he consecrated himself, meaning that he didn't need to be sanctified like you and me. He actually was doing the will of God. See, sanctify them in your truth. That is essential. The, 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 the truth in the word of God is which sanctifies us. If we don't understand that and if we feel like we have a low level of living in Christianity, maybe we haven't been in this book properly allowing God to sanctify us through his word. Because he says, this is how you're sanctified. This is how you're, so sanctification means separated to God. And then there's a process. We're all in that process, those who are Christians. We're in, we're moving, we should be moving in a righteousness with God. I love that because he says, sanctify them in truth. Sanctify them in truth. So Jesus says, listen, I consecrated myself. I set myself apart to do the Father's will, and you have to do the same. You have to do the same. You and I have to do the same. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, church. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What happens when you become a Christian is the old has passed away, right? The new has come. You're sanctified, set apart for God's use, Right? You're sanctified. Listen to what the scripture says in Acts 26, 18. You don't have to turn there, but I do want you to listen. This is Paul, and he's explaining his conversion. He said, this is what the the gospel does. To open their eyes, this was you and I prior to Christ, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That would be all the saints who have gone before us. That would be the saints that Jesus was praying about, the disciples. Saints, bask in this reality. You are chosen by God to be set apart to him for his glory and your good. Now you can see. Do you remember when you couldn't see? When your eyes were dark? But when God saves you, he gives you a spiritual barometer, if you will. You start seeing things differently. And if you're not a Christian, you, you don't see that way. You cannot. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell inside you. This is why it's so important that we proclaim this very message to non-believers and that we are comforted and encouraged by it. This is our hope. This is our confidence that our eyes have been hoping. We've gone from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. It says that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, sanctified by faith in me. That's beautiful. So we who are Christians, we're in the sanctification process, which means we are progressively, like I said, being more, becoming more and more like Christ, even if you don't feel like it. Even if you're like, I'm, I'm sinning often. I don't look much like Jesus, right? But you are if you are obeying the Lord. It's a slow process. You know, I'm not the same man. I hope my wife would attest to this that I was 20 years ago when we got married. You know, unable to handle the, the, the normal issues of marriage. I think by God's grace that I can handle more with the children and with her. It's like that in sanctification, that God gives you more. He changes you. He conforms you. You start becoming more mature. You start growing up in him. So since sanctification begins at salvation, it has a process. And, and so we know, okay, Doug, you said this is what sanctification is. It's separated to God. I have an old life that I've left away. Okay, that, that's all good. That makes sense. I'm, I'm feeling kind of good. I mean, you know, those are kind of like just words. But how, how do we get there? Is it, don't, don't, we, don't we like the how-to? Like, like, how do I do that? Like, okay, that's good. That's like a lot of doctrine. Like, but how do, I, how do I get there? 
So go back to, to 4.3, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. You're going to say, oh, that's how I get there? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Here it is, church, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you abstain from sexual immorality. See, this is one of key importance to our sanctification. Abstaining means to hold oneself back voluntarily, especially from something regarded as improper or unhealthy. Paul says to the church, listen, I, I've given, Christ has given himself to you. And since this is true, we know how to restrain ourselves. We, we have the ability to restrain ourselves, but do we act on that ability? So as those of you who have Christ, it's not like you can't restrain yourself. I, I would beg to differ. It's because you and I want to sin. Can I just, can I just make it plain? We, we want to sin. We want to sin. But, but we know we ought not to sin, right? So how do we do this? Turn, turn to Genesis 39. This is going to give us the why and the how-to. This is going to give us the why and the how-to. I'm taking us all the way back to Genesis because we need to be reminded of this, of this truth and see this. Genesis 39. Go there or listen clearly. Genesis 39, we're going to start in verse 2. You, you may remember the story. I'm going to drop us right in the beginning of this and read several verses. Genesis 39, this is Joseph. And listen to what this man does. The Lord, this is 39-2. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. I hope you're paying attention to the Lord, the Lord. So Joseph found favor, verse 4, in his sight and attended him. Favor meaning in the king's sight. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in that house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. I mean, Joseph is doing well. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And th this is just a side note. I'm sorry to break this up. Your beauty, your smarts, your charisma, your intelligence, it's all for the glory of God. It's, it's so that you can draw people to, to the Savior. Did you know that? God didn't make you fine just to be fine so you can be looking in the mirror like, I am gorgeous. <laughs> or you're, you're at work building new platforms. You're like, my, my brain is just like on fire. No, he gave you that gift so you can draw other people to him. Let's, let's go back to the text, 39.7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. Can you go back to verse 8 and, and, and in light of Thessalonians 4, 3, the will of God? Do you hear what Joseph did? He refused. He abstained. He refused. He said, I'm not having any part of that. All the verses prior to that, he said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He refused, right? Go to verse 9. 
Again, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. Here is the, the key point. Here's the why and the how to abstain. It's, I think it's all wrapped up in this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do we see it? Joseph abstained. Why? Because he was in love with the Lord. There it is. Do you love Jesus enough to abstain? See, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about who you love. Who, who do you have the most devotion to? See, that'll begin to change your life. That'll begin to sanctify you. That'll begin to mold you into the person Christ wants you to be. I love that. Joseph says, listen, I'm in love with you more, more than his own gratification. That's what each and every Christian has to have. Think about all aspects of life. See, some of you are like, well, what do I do about the marriage, about the kids, about the, you know, what is the will of God there? Can I just make a disclaimer here? The will of God, even in all those areas, is that you live holy and go ahead and make a decision and do the thing. Get some counsel from other Christians, you know, and say, hey, does this make sense? But go ahead and do the thing because you're walking in righteousness with God. You're already doing his will. Does that make sense? You don't have to sit there and just wring your hair and be like, should I take this job or should I go here? Listen, counsel with people of God, with your spouse and whomever, and then say, you know what? Let's do it because I'm living holy. So it don't matter what you do because you're going to be in Christ. Does that make sense? You're going to be with him all the time. That's, see, that's the beauty about following Jesus. And that's what Joseph said. He said, what are you, woman, are you out your mind? I know I'm fine, but I'm not falling for you. <laughs> yeah, the Bible said that I didn't. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I guess he was a good looking dude, right? And she was like, man. Um, the other guy ain't as good looking as you. <laughs> But see, this man was holy. Are you hearing me? He was set apart. Are you hearing me? He was sanctified or, or he was moving in the process. Are you hearing me? See, that's what was happening here with Joseph. See, he, he knew how to abstain. And that's how we do it. We love Jesus more. I hope you get that. Because that is it. You love Jesus more than everything else. And then watch the will of God start opening up for you in every aspect of life. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, I know what to do because I love Jesus more. Oh, the house won't close. I love Jesus more. Oh, she doesn't listen to me. I love Jesus more. You know what that means? That means when you're having problems, you start looking at the Bible. and You're like, okay, oh, she's not treating me. He's not. I'm going to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You see, you start knowing your Bible, and it is like, that's the will of God. Remember, I started out, sanctify them in thy truth. Your word is true. The Bible sanctifies you. It teaches you the will of God. They're one and the same. They're synonymous. I get happy when I'm up here, when I'm, y'all know that, because it starts blowing my mind. I'm like, oh God, is it, is it that simple? But yet challenging because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yes. Yes. We can do it. We can do it. So that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says about Joseph. Turn with me to another place, Job 31. Keep us in the Old Testament a little bit. You know, these Old, these old Testament saints, they knew how to do it. When I mean do it, they knew how to live holy. Not that you don't. Like I said, I don't want you to come to me after church and be like, you know what, you just talked about me the whole time. 
I'll just send you to Pastor Phil or Pastor Ernie or Pastor Justin. I'll be like, you know, they let me up here. Um, Go to Job 31. Job 31. And we're going to read the first four verses in light of 1 Thessalonians 4, abstaining in our sanctification. Listen, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? What would be my, what, what would God think about me? It's not calamity for the unrighteous. He's making a distinction. I'm righteous. He said, it's not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity. And we'll end here. Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? God, you are sovereign. You understand everything about me. I can't hide and try to do this in the dark. You see me. Once again, I love you more than that. How could I gaze at something that doesn't belong to me? Sexual immorality. It doesn't even belong to me. I can't even gaze at it. Uh, a side note for those of us who in, in here who are married, married, watch your marriage get better when you start, listen, honing in on who God has given you and you start pushing out like, oh, that, that, I, I don't need to look at anything else. Watch the health of your marriage increase. Guaranteed, because that's God's word. Guaranteed. So, listen, this is what that means. Job made a covenant with his eyes, which means he made an agreement, not with his physical eyes, everybody. No, 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 no. Job made a covenant, but one made with his heart toward God to be faithful. That's what that means. That's what that means. See, Job said, I'm making, I'm, I'm making a covenant with my eyes, which means I'm making a covenant with my heart to be honest before God. I will abstain, Job is saying, from gazing inappropriate, inappropriately at what doesn't belong to me. Job was doing what Paul told the Ephesian church in 5.3. Do you remember that? You don't have to turn there, but, but hear what Paul told the Ephesian church. And this is the mark of who we are in our sanctification process, now that we've been set apart to God, it says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper for the saints. It's not even proper. Sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness, it's not even proper for who we are. It doesn't befit who you are in the Lord now. That worked when you were outside of Christ. That's who you were. See, Paul makes a distinction in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, 4, and 5. He says, man, you used to be like this, but that's not you anymore. That's not who you are. He says, you are a new creature. You, I've given you new ways. So he says uh, in 5, 3, sexual morality and all impurity covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let me share something with this. Sexual morality includes more than adultery and fornication. I looked up that word, and I guess it, it means pornea, where we get our word pornography. That's sexual morality. Oh, that hits heavy. And uh, sexual uh, immorality and pornography is not just a man's thing. It's a woman thing, because the women are in it. Duh. Uh, I know we may think like, oh, the man does, he, yeah, that's where he's going. But the women have an inappropriate understanding of who they are in God. So then they sell themselves short and they do things that dishonor God and dishonor uh, humanity. And so it doesn't just stop there. 
It includes more than adultery and fornication, even though that is a moral behavior. Sexual morality has many ways of expressing itself, church. And I would ask you, like, like Job said back in 31 and 1, what are you gazing at? What are you gazing What's clouding your vision right now? What's clouding your vision to seeing the will of God, which is your holiness, which is my holiness? Are there TV shows we need to give up? I'll let you work that out between you and God. Are there magazines or books that we need to stop reading? We need to be like walking in Bel Air or wherever you at and say, you know what? I can't pick that one up no more. I just can't. It's not good for my sanctification process. It's not drawing me closer to Jesus. And if it's not doing that, I don't want any of it. That's how we have to approach our process and our, our walk with Jesus. Are there Instagram posts we need to stop paying close attention to? Are there Facebook posts that are causing us to stumble whatever the, the, the course of the, the Facebook post? I mean, it's like, oh, it looks good, but, but maybe you need to shut it down. Maybe there just, just needs to be no more Facebook. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of biased on that because I don't have Facebook, and there's some good things in Facebook and Instagram. Okay, y'all. But you better be discerning because it can lure you away from what is right and holy if you allow it to. You be spending so much time on that thing, you won't even know who you are no more, thinking you got more friends than you do. You know you ain't got 12,000 friends. <laughs> you got one good friend. <laughs> one good one. But you on there like, everybody love me. We are not all that. I wish somebody, I mean, that, that's a lot of responsibility too, isn't it? Think about it, if you got 700 friends. That's a lot of gifts during Christmas. Okay, that's a whole other... <laughs> Jesus says this uh, in Matthew 5, 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, then you tear it out and throw it away. Isn't that heavy? Our sanctification has a standard, which is Christ's righteousness. That's the standard. Christ is the standard. We don't find a standard in media and all that in music. You go here. This is the will of God. That's when you start seeing clearly. Someone can come to you with anything and you say, it just doesn't make sense because it doesn't add up here. And I'm not talking about knowing a particular verse. I'm talking about being so familiar with the word of God that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you will give you discernment and the know-how. It's not about like I know every particular passage. No, it's about being so connected to Jesus that you're like, Mm-mm. nope, it's not a part of my sanctification. I'm not going to grow here. I'm cutting it off. I'm not going out of town here because I can't grow I need to be in church. Sunday should be non-negotiable. If you're a Christian, be here. This is where you actually rub elbows with someone who can help you along the way. You out in Tahoe skiing. And I'm not mad at skiing or snowboarding. But I'm saying nothing should take the place of church on Sunday. And that's just how it is. Come talk to me afterwards. I'm going to give you the same message. You're like, well, forget it. He ain't going to change. He's stubborn. Our sanctification has a standard. Um, look at 1 Thessalonians back there, 4 and 5. I know this is one of those. See, y'all wasn't expecting this on the New, Year, on the New Year's Eve, huh? Y'all like, oh, man, I ain't never coming there again. You're like, when the one black guy get up there, it just, it just ain't that right. I like, I like the other guys. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Go back there. 
And look at what it says in verse four. It says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. In holiness and honor. And then it says this, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay. So the will of God is exercising. This is, I should have started out with points, but this would be like my point number two. The will of God is exercising control that the non-believer doesn't possess. Let me say that again. The will of God is exercising control that the non-believer doesn't possess. Why is this important? Why? I mean, it says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Because sanctification proves identification. Sanctification proves identification with the one who saved us. You can't tell me you sanctified and you don't look like Jesus. There's no identification. I can't even identify you with this person because your lifestyle is way down here. You don't even look. You don't look anything. That's, do you see the, the oxymoron? Do you see the conflict? The, 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 it's just incongruent. It doesn't work. Sanctification proves identification with the one who saved us. See, those who don't know God carry on in their sinful lifestyle unrestrained, just like you and I. We carried on in our sinful lifestyle unrestrained. Why? Because we had no Holy Spirit to restrain us. We did exactly what we wanted to do. That's why Paul says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, meaning those outside of Christ, who do not know God. He makes that distinction. We know the truth. We know God and we know his truth. Therefore, church, we have ceased from being dominated by sin. It's not that you and I don't sin anymore. It should be that there's no sin that just dominates you. That you're just walking around like, I just got to go off on that person. They cut me off. I just, in light of what we're dealing with in the context of these verses that I read, I just cannot stop looking here or doing this with my life, my, my body. We don't have the, we don't have that anymore. We have control. We have real control. I mean, like, literally, like you can, I, we cannot be perfect, but, if, but we have the ability inside of us to make the right decision each and every time. Do you know that? But I just choose not to each and every time. That's all that is. So you, you, you sin by way of your own volition, not because you don't have the power to, to not do it. You have it in you. I have it in me, right? And so the Bible is, is very, very clear on that. The Bible is very clear on that. Um, so since we, we have this ability and we see the contrast there, I, I want you to, to look at folks who, who don't have the ability. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Since he makes the, the, the distinction there, I want you to go here so to, to see this with your own eyes. 1 Corinthians 6. Wow, I should have been there before y'all, but. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, yeah, it is. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to pick it up here in, 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 verse, in verse 9. 
Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Think about what Paul just said back in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 and 5. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh boy, this, this should be big in your mind right here. Just reading that, you know, the ability to, to exercise self-control. Do not be deceived. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, that's what we're dealing with, but, but it extends out beyond that, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, Can homosexualities and, and uh, lesbians go to heaven? They can if they repent of their sin and start living according to the will of God. Just want to throw that in there because I, I think some of us, a lot of us may have family members or friends and we know someone who lives an alternative lifestyle. We want to love them into righteousness. Nor thieves, verse 10, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the distinction Paul makes to this church in Corinth. And such were some of you. Th- that should be sobering to your mind. But such were some, Douglas, that was you. But guess what happened when Christ died and you, and, and you repented of your sins and I repented of my sin. But you were washed. And here's our word. And here's our, the, the meaning for this morning's sermon. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified. You were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by what? The spirit of our God, meaning that he keeps you. You don't have to do it on your own. He does it as you work alongside with him and be obedient. That's what God is calling us to. And he's saying, listen, there's a distinction. This is who you once were. But now you're someone different. You've been washed. Think about that. I mean, you've just been cleaned up. And it's on the inside. It's not on the outside. That's why I can come to church right now and preach in some jeans. I got to have on a three-piece suit and you think more highly of me. I've been washed on the inside. And so have you if you believe in Jesus. So how do we control ourselves in holiness and honor? How do we control ourselves? Because we see, go back to, go back to first, well, actually don't go there. Go to first Peter. Go to first Peter. But First Thessalonians, just hear me. Remember, he makes that distinction. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. They don't know God. He says, man, they, they don't know him, but you know him. And you control your body in holiness and honor. So I want to ask you the question, how do we control ourselves in holiness and honor? And I want to give you the answer to that. This is how we do it. Go to First Peter. And this is going to bless us. First Peter 1. Verse 13, let's read. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As what? As obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Oh, so that's how you do it? Prepare your minds for action. Two words should stand out to you guys in these two passages that we read in 13 and 15 that are key in giving us insight to controlling ourselves. The first is 
our minds. Everything starts here, doesn't it? It's how you think. As a man thinketh, right? So is he. And I'm not talking about how you think about yourself in terms of I'm a good guy or good girl. As a man thinketh according to the scripture, so is he. That's what that means. Everything goes back to the scripture. We, we don't have any confidence in the flesh. This thing is weak. I mess up way too much. Control your minds according to the, to the scripture. That's what it means. Or that, that, that's how we control our, our lives in holiness and honor. So th- those two things. It starts in the mind. Remember what Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians 2.5. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have minds that have been renewed by our Savior. Did you know that? We just have to put in practice who we are from a positional standpoint. Positionally, we stand in, in Christ's righteousness. We are, we are made new. Now we have to act out of that. So we have minds that have been renewed by our Savior. So renew your minds on truth and prepare them for spiritual battle. Did you know every day that you leave the house, you're in a spiritual conflict and battle? Did you know that? The only way that you can conquer and live in holiness is if you have been renewing your mind through the word. It's not, it's not hard. It's, 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 it's very simple, but if you're finding yourself defeated in sexual immorality and other immoralities... It's because we're not submitting to the, to the lordship of Christ and allowing our minds to be renewed. And what I'm saying by renewed, we, we obey what we read. That renews it. Obedience renews. Obedience is a part of our sanctification. And so that's what we do. So it, it should be minds and obedience. Those two things should, should jump out at you. Those two. Turn to 1 Corinthians Nine twenty-five, twenty-four. Thank you, brother. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, right? He says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And you know, some of you are athletes out here. Some of you do a lot of things. Think about what you do. Some of you work out, people, and I'll throw myself in there. You do a lot. You get up early. You count calories. You stretching. You thinking about meal prep. You are like, man, I only eat this on this certain time. You're doing box jumps. I mean, all kind of stuff. And that takes some self-control. That takes some discipline. Am I right about that? Now, how much more should we be disciplining ourselves according to the scripture? Taking this in. Being disciplined like an athlete. I was working out this morning and I had this in mind and a brother walked by me. He was like, man, it looks like you preparing for Ninja Warrior. And I was thinking, yes, I am to rip the word of God as I'm on the treadmill or whatever that thing is I'm on. But you see what I'm saying? He looking at me like you working out and I'm thinking, man, I've been preparing. I'm, this is who I'm a Christian. And this is what we do. We prepare our minds for action, Right. Self-control, right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Did you hear that? In all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable 
Oh man, we're headed to heaven. Is that not good? Oh, we gotta, we have a wreath that will never fade. I'm going to get, and you're going to get a new body. Oh, you better shout. See, that, you can shout on the inside. That's our hope. That's just one of them. You won't even think about sinning when you get to heaven. It won't even be a part of your makeup. I love that. He says, so I, this is what I do. I do not run aimlessly. We don't live the Christian walk aimlessly. We got to focus here. Right? So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as beating the air. This ain't shadow boxing. He says, but I discipline my body. As I made that analogy, us workout folks, we discipline our bodies. And listen, and I keep it under control. See, that was the lack of the non-believer. They can't keep themselves under control. Sanctification leads to holiness, meaning that you and I can keep our bodies under control. Oh, yeah, we can, for the Bible says it. Lest after preaching, you and I, me right here, I myself should be disqualified. Oh, God holds us to a standard. I can't tell you this and then leave here and be doing something else because you can call me right back to this and be like, hmm, you look like you shadow boxing in the spirit, if you will. Look like you just dancing around, ain't doing nothing, living in sin, playing with things you don't need to be playing with. Watching things you don't need to be watching. Go on places in your mind you don't need to be going. Better retract, retreat. Do a Joseph, do a Job, right? That's why I went there. Because the Bible is the greatest example. I don't have to come up with examples. The Bible got plenty of them. We'll be here all day. I don't have to make up some. I'm like, wow, I'll be here all year. Meaning, you have enough in the word of God. That's what I mean. So, the other point is, is obe- uh, obedience, obeying. If we love God and his word, we, we will obey. If we love God and his word, we will obey, which will help with our sanctification and holiness. Listen to 1 John 2, 4, and 5. Just listen. You don't have to turn there. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's why John says, sanctify the in in the truth. But look, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. By just keeping the word of God and obeying it, we actually understand that we truly belong to Jesus. Isn't that good? Every time you do right, and I'm not talking about doing right just for doing right, but every time you obey, you're like, I belong to Jesus because I know prior to Jesus I would have done wrong. Let, let me break it down even further. Listen, your affections and desires have changed now because Christ has gotten a hold of you. You don't even want to do some of the stuff because God has just like done a, a new work on your heart. That's when you begin to give God praise. You're like, whoo, you be up in Winco like this. Nobody be like, why is he raising this? Thank you, Jesus. I'm about to go ahead and buy this. They're like, what's wrong with this dude? Yes, I'm one of those. I'm a called out one. I'm a Christian. I'm one of those. So, I'll close with this. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, and we also, and this is what it says there, thank God constantly for this, 
that when you receive, this is Paul talking to this Thessalonian church, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I love that. He said, you accepted the, the word that we preached to you. You got a hold of it and you said, this is truth. I'm, I'm going to love Jesus more. And I'm going to follow his ways. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. For the non-believer this morning, um, Brother Daniel read John 3, 16 and 18, and I'm just going to end with that because it, it's paramount in you coming to, to a place of sanctification, and that is repentance of sin. For the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son for you. That whoever believes in him should not, what, perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to love on you. He came to draw you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He came to give you a new hope for the new year and every day after that. He did that. He didn't have to. He could have, the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus could have just been just, just hanging out. But he decided after creation said, I'm going to still love on them, even though they keep going astray. You can read that throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to pursue you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. But in order that the world might be saved through him, God wants to save you. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Those of us who are Christians, we're not condemned. We stand in the righteousness of Christ now. And we are overjoyed because of that. But this is the grim and truthful warning and, and actually the re reality. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You stand condemned because you reject the, the person and work of Christ. And you say, you know what? My own works are better, even though we're flawed and sinful. And he says, I'm the better way. I'm the perfect, the pure, the holy way that can sanctify you and purify you for his good. He says, you're condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only son of God. My plea, my urge is repent and believe in the sacrifice that Christ has made. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, I thank you for your word, dear God. For your word is rich, it's truth, Father. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to our soul, but that's what we need, God. To walk with you, to be sanctified in holiness and righteousness. Father, we love you because you have first loved us. You've set your affections upon us. And God, we want to continue to give us praise, to give you praise for who you are. We ask, Father, that you be glorified, that all God's people say, thank God. Amen.